The text I've chosen this morning is from uh, Exodus chapter 13. I encourage you to stand as we read from Exodus 13, beginning with verse 17 and down through chapter 14, verse 4. Entitled God's Peculiar Leading. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, You shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Succoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. You shall camp from the front of Baal-Ziphon, opposite by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, They're wandering aimlessly in the land, in the wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. You know the situations that every person is in today. Apply this word to encourage them to trust you in your peculiar leading in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. We're told that when an aircraft flies from New York to Los Angeles, it's off course about 95% of the time. The navigator is constantly making adjustments and corrections until the final moment when the plane lands right on target. How many times have you been off course in your life? How do you know when you're off course? Well, we know for sure that when we dabble into sin, then we're off course. And we need to bring that in confession to our God and to receive the forgiveness that he offers us. But there are other times when you may feel that you're off course. Yet you're simply experiencing the very peculiar leading of God. Israel experienced that leading. And I believe that you as a congregation have experienced the very peculiar leading of God. And there is wonderful security for the believer who follows the Lord's peculiar leading. Five points to this message this morning. First of all, God knows the best way to lead his people in verses 17 to 18. Our God has an eternal perspective and he is omniscient. The only question is, do we trust his omniscience and his leading? It may not be the shortest route, according to verse 17. Straight east and north, the Philistines were experienced warriors. And God didn't want to lead them that way. In our culture today, it is automatically assumed that the quickest is the best. 
But that is not the way it is with our God. Medicine Lake Lutheran, grace-free Lutheran, has not experienced the quickest route to having a sanctuary to worship in. Verse 17, God takes into consideration how changes affect your thinking. God is way out in front of us. My wife and I were traveling in Tennessee around Memphis one time, and there was a 10-mile traffic jam, thankfully, in the other lane. And I was thinking about the people who were just getting on the entrance ramps that day, of how their day was about to be altered. It's nice to have a God who's out in front. He knows the effect of opposition on our lives. He knows what we can handle. He was fearful that Israel wouldn't be able to face the Philistines. And that's why he led them the other way. Remember when Peter was told by the Lord, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your strength would fail not. God knows that man's thinking can change. Man is vulnerable to discouragement. You can feel like quitting. Last year during deer season, I had the opportunity to shoot a coyote that was just in prime. I uh, scunned it out and uh, had Dwight Forsberg send it in and have it tanned. Got it back this spring, and by that time I thought, I don't really want to sit in the shop. I like to be outside, so I put it in the freezer. Yesterday was my day <laughs> to mount that coyote on the form. And I'll tell you, about one-third of the way through, after one or two calls to my taxidermist friend, <laughs> I felt like quitting. <laughs> my fingers had never gotten so sore from stitching. Well, I guess I haven't stitched a whole lot in my life when I think about it. But they were cramping up, and I thought, i got a lot of sewing left to do here. But we feel like quitting when that happens to us. God, then, verse 18, God may take you towards something. By way of the wilderness, it says, to the Red Sea. Why would God do such a thing? Why would God allow challenges and difficulties in the life of a congregation? Does He know your bent? Things that look ridiculous from a human perspective? Then verse 18 assures us that he takes us orderly. They've traveled in martial array. They traveled in order. And you know, when the family of God sticks together and endures the test that comes their way, what a beautiful thing it is to Almighty God as you trust Him along the peculiar journey. He knows the best way to lead His people. Secondly, in verse 19, as you travel, keep your past promises. As pastors, we make promises and vows before we are ordained or in our ordination. As confirmands, you made promises. As married couples, you made vows. In verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. I think that might have been a little inconvenient and viewed as extra baggage to haul along the way. Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath. We find it in Genesis 50, verse 25. God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. Think about the vision there was in that statement that he made them promise. You shall. 
not you might, <laughs> you will. And how we have to hold to those promises. Joseph had said God would come to their aid. He left this world encouraging future generations that God would be involved in their lives. And how we must learn to trust our God through each experience along the way. So Moses was under obligation to take Joseph's bones. Moses as a leader fulfilled those promises that were made generations before. I wonder if those who have gone on to glory from this congregation wouldn't be smiling today to see God's peculiar leading in a place of worship. But I suspect even more than that, they would be smiling to see you as individuals trusting the peculiar leading of God in each of your lives to trust Him. You see, the goal isn't just the end. It's the journey of trusting and living in that relationship with your Lord. Thirdly, in verse 21, God goes ahead of his people to lead them. Aren't you glad we've got a God like that? There was a man that was taking a motorcycle ride along the Mississippi River when he came to a detour. He traveled the roads of what seemed like an eternity and he was getting low on gas. He stopped to check the map. A woman came out from her house and told him how to get back on the main route. He followed their directions until he got to a fork in the road that she had not mentioned. On the left fork, he saw a farmer that was walking back and forth across the road. So he went that way. Is this the way to Natchez, he asked. Yes, it is, the farmer answered. My neighbor up the road who you talked to called and asked me to make sure that you took the right fork. (laughs) Boy, that's a good kind of neighbor to have, isn't it? That's the way our God is. Could it be that you're at a fork? (laughs) You're at a fork in your life right now and you don't know which way to go at that fork. Verse 21 tells us he led them in the day by a cloud. Smoke clouds are very, very visible. I remember as a young child riding in the car with dad and we'd see smoke and say, well, maybe we should go see where that fire is. Well, you better watch your odometer because it's always a lot farther than what you'd ever think. Very visible way to be led. And what protection a cloud offers from heat exhaustion in in the desert. The protection of God is there for the believer. The blood of Christ. Older pastor friends, and there is an old, there was an older pastor friends, used to remind us of 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, continually cleanses us from sin. It's like the believer lives under Niagara Falls of the blood of Christ, continually cleansing us. And what a wonderful way to be able to be led through life in that relationship with our God. He led them at night by a pillar of fire. Travelers were told in those days would have a metal cage of which the fire would be in. And then they would carry that metal cage on long poles. God outdid that by supplying a pillar of fire to lead his people. 
And verse 22, you can depend on God's leading. His forecast is way better than Doppler radar. To travel at any time, the cool of the night. Sometimes God had them, when the cloud went up over the tabernacle, to get up at the nighttime and to travel at that time. Some of you are getting older after 14 years of set up and take down. God knows those things and what congregations can handle. And God has promised that he will never, never leave you. He did not take away the cloud by day or by night. Hebrews tells us, I will never leave you. Never will I leave you. Matthew tells us, Lo, I am with you always. Your Bible say that? Always. Even unto the end of the age. God goes ahead of his people to lead them. Fourthly, as you travel, you must allow God to turn you back. Men, did you hear that? Men do not like to turn back. Have any of you wives experienced that? <laughs> a fellow pulled his car over to ask an old woman on the side of the road how far it was to a certain town. The old woman said, well, sonny, if you keep going the way you're headed, it's about 25,000 miles. But if you turn back, it's about three. <laughs> Boy, it's difficult sometimes to turn back, isn't it? Wow. Backwards. To endure declines in attendance. Does God know more than what you know? Sometimes God, it says in verse 2, will lead you into a tight spot. Here for Israel, it was between Migdol and the sea, which would have been foolish according to human judgments. God does some very unique things, though in tight spots. And it really comes down to human reason versus trusting God. Which will it be? And maybe you're in one of those tight spots that the doctor just told you about right now. Maybe there's a bill that's put you in a tight, tight spot. God is leading. He, you can trust him. Verse 3, God knows the opposition's thinking before he even has thoughts. Some theologians, sadly today, don't believe that God knows all of man's thinking and which choice man will make. This text tells us that God knew exactly what Pharaoh was going to do. The opposition, though, does not know God's tactics. <laughs> I'm glad for that. He says it may have looked like aimless wandering to Pharaoh, but oh, how we need to trust him at those times. And trusting God is not wasted time. I remember when uh, Pastor Franz and I were in college at UMD, of how we said to one another, won't it be nice when we get to start studying something that we really want to study? <laughs> You know, it's easy to live in the future, seminarians, if there happen to be any of you here. 
But you see, it's not just the... This is what God is looking at, the journey for us to trust Him all the way through, day by day. Because He wants to be seen in the peculiar leading. Ever since my dad went home to be with the Lord, it was shortly after that. Dad spent a lot of time out in the lawn taking care of it, and he talked to one of our neighbors, Joel. And I didn't, haven't gotten to talk to him a lot, but I, I thought about, Lord, I pray you'll open a door sometime to visit with Joel about Dad. And so I've just prayed and I go out for my run at a certain time of the morning and sometimes I see his flashlight come out with the dog and he's going by. And then when I come back from my run, sometimes I'll meet him, but it just hasn't happened. And I thought, Lord, you know when Joel would be most open. I don't know that. And this morning, (laughs) this morning, I went into our entryway and I saw Joel's door open. I saw the light and I saw the dog coming out. And I thought, no, I'm not going to rush and hurry. And so I got on my cap and I got on my jacket. I got on my shoes and I walked out the door and started my run. And there I saw Joel walking the dog. And I was surprised how close he still was. And do you know that dogs stop along the way? And there was Joel. And I came up behind him and I talked to him a little bit. I said, Joel, did my dad ever tell you that he wasn't afraid to die? Did he ever share that with you? No, he just talked about a... A to-do list that you always made out for him. (laughs) Oh, I said the the daddy-do list before I'd go to the office. Yes. But I had a wonderful opportunity as he was walking the dog to just share that dad wasn't afraid to die. Because he knew that Jesus had paid his penalty and he took his sin away. Joel, do you have any... Hope when that day comes for you? No, I just hope I die quick in my sleep. I'm praying that God will open that door further with Joel. But I thought about the peculiar leading of God this morning. How God can use a dog (laughs) to make our paths cross. God can use it all. In fact, the tighter the spot, the greater opportunity for God's glory. Hemmed in by the desert and the sea are like no more loans available. (laughs) What do you do? Well, Psalm 27, 14 gives some guidance, doesn't it? Twice it gives guidance. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Again, I say, wait on the Lord. Several years ago, just as Perestroika was beginning and before the commission came into being, Paul Eshelman, who heads up the Jesus Film Project, 
with Campus Crusade, was invited to show a film at the festival in Moscow. He marveled at the incredible opportunity that was open to him. He signed a contract with the theater owners in Russia to have the film shown all over the Soviet Union in the theaters. There was an exclusivity clause in the contract which said that the film would never be shown on television while it was being shown in the theaters in order to protect the theater owner's financial integrity. Just a few weeks after the contract was signed and then sent out to the theaters, it was discovered that the liaison who had helped arrange the contract had on the side sold the rights to television producers as well as thus breached the contract. And Paul thought that everything had been ruined. How disappointing that one of the first legal arrangements that Western evangelicals had ever made in the Soviet system was brought to shame as the contract was broken. But this did not mean that God was failing to protect the ministry of that film. Just recently at a dinner in Moscow, Alexei Brodinov stood up and he said, I've never been able to say this before, but several years ago I was sitting at home. I saw the last 10 minutes of the Jesus film on television. I'd never seen anything like that before and was struck with curiosity. Later, I was walking down the street and I passed a theater whose on marquee was advertising the Jesus film. Because I was so curious, I watched the whole film. I cried twice. I cried when I saw them nail Christ's hands on the cross. And I cried when I accepted Christ as my Savior at the close of the film. That was the encounter with the sovereignty and the wisdom of God, who in the midst of all the chaos in Russia then, was working, moving, so that one bureaucrat could be one to Christ, and that in turn opened the whole Soviet Union on the educational front to get the films and the ministry in. How God of him to do that, like one of our friends used to say. God would use Pharaoh for his glory one more time, verse 4 tells us. He would harden Pharaoh's heart. And you know, when you see God's miracles and you resist, the heart gets hard. It's kind of like in the Truth Project. When you look inside the black box and you see order and you see design, but you refuse to admit what you see, your heart gets hard. It gets hard. Hard. Pharaoh would pursue Israel. What was he thinking going into the sea? That was one of the most obvious traps that could ever be set. And, he did, and God didn't even camouflage it. And Pharaoh's army went right in after them. And God said in verse 4, the Egyptians would know who is the Lord. Their army drowned in the depths of the sea. I wonder in your lives, have you allowed God to stop you when you're in facing that temptation? You know, Satan loves to dangle things before us, but he doesn't show the end result of what's going to happen. And I would urge you today, if you're at one of those places, to stop, take heed to God's word and his directing of you, 
Don't follow in. As you're traveling through life, you need to be ready to turn back when God says turn back. And lastly, let God glorify himself in your leading by doing what he says. Look at the last verse of chapter 14. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used, the Egyptians against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. As a church, you're experiencing God's unique, peculiar leading in a sanctuary to worship him. May he be praised here until Jesus returns. And give thanks for a pastor who preaches God's word and lives that word. That you together can grow in that relationship along the peculiar journey. I want to close with this story that Doug Nichols tells. While serving with Operation Mobilization in India back in 1967, tuberculosis forced me into a sanitarium for several months. I sensed many weren't happy about a rich American. To them, all Americans were rich. Being in a free government-run sanitarium, I did not yet speak the language, but I tried to give Christian literature written in their language to the patients, doctors, and nurses, but everybody politely refused. The first few nights, I woke around 2 a.m. coughing. One morning during my coughing spell, I noticed an older, a sicker patient across the aisle trying to get out of bed. He would sit up on the edge of his bed, and he would try to stand, but in his weakness, he would fall right back into bed. I didn't understand what he was trying to do. He finally fell back exhausted, and I could hear him softly crying. The next night again, I awoke up coughing. I noticed the man across the aisle again try to stand, and like the night before, he fell back whimpering. I don't like bad smells, and I didn't want to get involved. But I got out of bed, and I went over to him. When I touched his shoulder, his eyes opened wide with fear. I smiled, I put my arms underneath him, and I picked him up. Remembering how the night before, the next morning, the nurses had slapped him and people were angry at the awful smell. He was very light due to old age and advanced TB. I carried him to the washroom, which was just a filthy small room with a hole in the floor. I stood behind him with my arms under his armpits as he took care of himself. And after he finished, I picked him up and carried him back to his bed. And as I laid him down, he kissed me on the cheek, smiled, and he said something I couldn't understand. The next morning, another patient woke me and handed me a steaming cup of tea. He motioned with his hands that he wanted one of my tracks. As the sun rose, other patients approached and indicated they wanted one of my booklets that I had tried to distribute before. And throughout the day, nurses and interns and doctors asked for my literature. Weeks later, an evangelist who spoke the language visited me and discovered that several of the people had put their trust in Jesus as their Savior as a result of reading that literature. Then he asked this question, what did it take to reach these people with the gospel? It wasn't health. It wasn't the ability to speak their language or a persuasive talk. It was just a trip to the bathroom. The peculiar 
leading of God. As we've looked at how God led Israel, consider how he has led in saving you from your sin. His plan of salvation is indeed peculiar. First of all, God's plan to save you from sin was certainly not the quickest. About 4,000 years for it to unfold from the earthly perspective. And then to the glory of God in the fullness of time. Secondly, God kept his promises, every one of them. But his promises weren't to take the bones of someone home to the promised land, but to send his son into this world that he could live a perfect life that I can't live and to die on a cross to pay the penalty for every one of our sins and then to bodily raise him from the dead so that everybody who would put their faith and trust in him could have a home in heaven for all of eternity. The peculiar leading of God. Then God left not a cloud or a pillar of fire to lead you. But then in those whom he has sanctified by the work of the cross, he puts his Holy Spirit right within you to lead you and to guide you throughout life through the word of God. Unfortunately, God is still in the business of turning people around. If you're in a tight spot right now, fall before him on your knees. Fall before him on your knees and ask him for your guidance. Lastly, let God continue to glorify himself as he leads you in his own peculiar way. Not like he leads other people, but how he wants to lead you. Glory, glory to the Lamb. Thank you, Father, for your marvelous, peculiar way to work out salvation. That we then might become your own peculiar people. A people of God's own choosing. That we might, he might show forth the praise of, praises of his glory. Who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thank you for your leading. Thank you for the blessings of this day. Amen.